In today's episode of Trouble with the Snap, we will be recapping very exciting and eventful week 10, going over our locks of the week, and then jumping into some discussion regarding Alex Grinch, James Madison, and our latest reactions from the new college football playoff poll. Roll the intro. Nick Saban, and in Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Trouble with the Snap. My name is Colton Deutsch. Joined as always by my colleague and Renaissance man down there in College Station, Will Shemansky. Will, how's it going? You ready to talk some ball? Absolutely. Uh, considering just how great this past weekend was for college football, just how entertaining these games were, I'm really excited to jump into this. Um, but as always, uh, we always kind of start the little personal bits. So other than that, I've been doing well. Uh, had a pretty uneventful weekend. Um, this past weekend was opening weekend for duck and deer season, so I was able to sneak in a deer hunt on Sunday and actually walked away with a, little, with a nice little deer. So um, all in all, I had a pretty, pretty good weekend. Uh, how about yourself? I had a pretty good weekend too. Um, just to preface and want to apologize, the allergies have been acting up a little bit, and oddly enough, they started right after the Longhorns game on Saturday. So I have said for quite a while that I think I actually do play for the team, considering I feel every game, you know, pretty hard. Um, I think I do deserve access to the team facilities, at least for recovery purposes. But I do not, which is why I sound a bit sick right now. But, yeah, uh, it was great. I had a friend in town. We got some dinner and drinks on Friday and went to the game Saturday. And, yeah, just pretty much watched a lot of football. So it was really all I could ask for. That's good. Well, um, <laughs> well as soon as you say allergies, I feel a little – congestion in my throat so excuse me on that but um I've I've officially reached the point in the college football season uh, at least as an AM fan and student and whatnot um it's college basketball season uh you know I, I went to uh the Aggies first game yesterday um against AM Commerce they looked really good um and man I, I'm really excited for palpable Buzz Williams to be back in business uh I, I know this is a college football podcast but considering that I have I've had a little to Little to none to cheer about in regards to AM football this year. Um, I now turn my attention to basketball. However, um, I certainly will be watching college football, no question, throughout the rest of the year, no matter how good or how bad AM will be. As John Rossine would say, this is only November. By the way, did you watch that Michigan State game last night? I did. I caught uh, probably about the last 10 minutes of it. Um, great great game. game. That was awesome. Great game. Um, you know, Colton, did you uh, did you grab your nitroglycerin pills? Well, it's crazy because I think Michigan State was ranked fourth in the country. James Madison beat them on the road. Anarchy, nope, just college basketball, is, as John Rossi would say. But, yeah, I'm happy to have college basketball back too. I think Longhorns will have a pretty good team, maybe not as good as last year. But if they, if they gel at the right time, you never know. So I went to watch them play Incarnate Word last night, which was not very close, but – it was still fun. One thing I do want to bring up a little bit off topic though. Um, I think like a mini rant, but there is something up between me and grocery stores. Like I'm, I'm constantly just getting screwed over by. What do you, what do you mean by that? So there's been a couple times where I used to shop at Trader Joe's a lot. And then some of the meat I would get would just expire after a day, which was Definitely not ideal, or at least way before it's set on the on the sell by or the use by. And then started going to H E B and doing this little curbside pickup. And they're consistently just messing up one or two things. 
or items will be out of stock, which is understandable, and they fill them in with different substitutions. But this time, on Sunday, I go to pick up my groceries. I get the notification. Everything's in stock. So I'm like, okay, well, this is weird. Something has to go wrong, right? So what they do is they obviously like bag it for you. So I got this pasta sauce, really good. It's Rao's, like spicy marinara. It's fantastic. Anyways, I guess the bag that they put it in, they packed too heavily. So I get out of my car. I open I open the back seat, get the bag, and it just sh- it, it, like it just breaks. Glass shatters everywhere. So if you're looking for any marinara sauce, you can get out of my parking garage, and there's a bunch right next to my car. So... <laughs> There's just something up. I mean, I'm constantly getting screwed over by uh, by various grocery stores. So I don't know what it is, but definitely a battle in my life that I'm looking to conquer. So what I, my main takeaway from this is that ever since the ending of the Texas game on Saturday, it's just kind of been downhill for you. It's been terrible. I was because normally I like I lose my voice at the game, and that's understandable, and it'll come back. Saturday night, I just kept losing it, losing, losing it, and I was. I was at a bar with some friends, and eventually they were like, I don't even know what you're saying anymore. Man. Me neither. I can't. But so but that's how it is. Everyone's playing injured this time of year. So, Especially you. You're, uh, you might miss a week due to like a vocal cord injury. Oh, I'm not missing a week. I already had my bye. That's impressive. I respect that. But yeah, so that's pretty much the latest there. So I don't know. Me and, me and HEB have a few issues right now. All right. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's one of the big battles going on in my life. But another one is simply just following college football. So if you have, do you have anything else to say or do you want to just hop into a week 10 recap? Um, you know, this is kind of random. So, and uh, before we hop into the recap, I mean, everyone's here for college football and not you and I's personal lives. If they really cared about it personalized that much, they'd come, uh, certainly just shoot us a text, something like that. But I do want to say, um, as, as I've mentioned several times on the show previously, I am currently in a paintball kinesiology class. And today, um, in paintball, it felt like every single game I played, I felt like I was going up against like SEAL Team 6. This is kind of just off topic. I didn't tell you this before we started recording, but I just got my butt lit up constantly today. And so when I went to my next class after paintball, I looked like like a – like a Van Gogh painting. Like there was just color everywhere. I mean, that'll happen. The the better team won. You got to tip your cap. No, I do. I absolutely do. Um, You know, the way that they were just pushing bunker to bunker and just kind of working the outsides and getting around us, things like that. Like they, they just straight up, it just outmatched us. And um, you know, I I tip my cap to them and I got to go back to the drawing board for next Tuesday to make sure we clean up these errors and these little mental mistakes. But um, all in all, not a fun day in, in the paintball, in the paintball world. I mean, what can you do? You just got to pick yourself up off the mat and get back out there. Absolutely. All right. Now I think it's enough. That's enough talk. I think it's perfectly time um, or the perfect time for us to jump into this week 10 recap. Colton, would you mind leading us off real quick with Ohio State at Rutgers? Yeah. So we had quite a game in Piscataway for about three quarters or so as Rutgers was up 9-7 to seven at the half on Ohio State, and they actually kicked three field goals inside the Buckeyes' five-yard line, which is kind of questionable. The kicker for Rutgers went 3-for-3, three three and his long was a 22-yarder. So, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like you maybe have to go for it there if you're Rutgers at least once, but they did not. This Ohio State defense is still very much legit, and Trayvon Henderson is still a stud as is Marvin Harrison, but I don't know. Kyle McCord is still a bit a bit shaky for me. And look, Ohio State's a great team, but I don't really see their offense clicking enough to beat Michigan. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Ohio State ended up pulling away 35-16, to 16, and they'll be undefeated going into that game in Ann Arbor, but I think they really might struggle against the Wolverines when they get there. I'm right there with you. I totally agree. Um you know, Ohio State up to this, uh, within the first two rankings of the CFP poll. Uh, you know, they've been number one in bo- uh, both times. And I, it's it's a bit concerning when your number one team, um, supposedly in the country, goes down to the wire against the Rutgers team. I, I, I get it. It was on the road. But at the same time, they were down at halftime. And so, um, 
you know, clearly they had to kind of snap out of a little funk they may have been. And obviously that they did um, winning the game 35 to 16. However, at the same time, um, you know, I, I totally agree with you. I think that when Ohio State walks into Ann Arbor to close out their season, um, that could get ugly pretty fast. Uh, I, I don't know, though. I we'll, we'll see. I mean, there's still a few weeks between now and then. Um, anything's possible. You know, they could easily clean up some of these mistakes and, you know, all of a sudden just get truly firing on all cylinders down the, the true home stretch of the season. Um, but until then, it's kind of, you know, yet to be seen, yet to be determined. And um, just the way they're playing now, I just, I mean, they're still undefeated, no question, but um, uh, the implications um, of the Ohio State-Michigan game to close out the season just grow by the week, and I truly cannot wait for that game. Yeah, I don't know if Michigan has their signs, but if they do, Ohio State is cooked. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, uh, let's look at Notre Dame. Goes to Clemson. They fall 31-23. We, I think, did not really expect this one. This was not a great game for either quarterback. Cade Clemson actually looked better, which is kind of impressive considering he was 13 of 26 for 109, a touchdown and a pick. But, I mean, we mentioned it. Notre Dame's receivers are not really much of a threat. And while they have a stud running back in Andre Gessime, Sam Harmon really seemed to struggle. And this Clemson defense balled out. They had a big pick six to stretch the lead out to 24-6. And, look, Clemson tried to blow the game. They actually fumbled the ball trying to run out the clock. But that was about the only mistake that Phil Moffin made as he ran for 186 yards on 36 carries. So they definitely were kind of using him as a bit of a workhorse. And, yeah, Clemson gets a big win. Credit to Dabo Sweeney, I'm not the biggest Dabo guy, but people were getting on him all week long, and he pulled off a ranked win at home. So good for Clemson and the Tigers. For sure. You know, shout out to Clemson. Uh, going into this game, they were 4-4, four and four, and this absolutely seemed like a season that everyone in Death Valley just wanted to forget. And um, after Saturday, I mean, it, it still isn't certainly the most ideal season by any means if you're a Clemson fan, but hey, at least you have a pretty big bright spot in beating Notre Dame like that. Um at home as for the game itself as you mentioned sam hartman certainly did struggle i mean he completed 13 passes on 30 attempts for 146 yards uh no touchdowns and two picks and he had a he had a qbr of a grit with a grand total of 39.6 so i'm not entirely sure what it was maybe clemson just had that good of a defensive scheme as you mentioned they had that uh, pretty pretty major pick six um, but all in all, Sam Hartman up uh, this past Saturday did not look like the Sam Hartman. Hartman, um, we have pretty much come to expect this season. Um, but obviously, the game doesn't just fall on his shoulders. I mean, we, it's really easy to blame him because he's a quarterback. But ultimately, it also uh, comes down to the entire team. So, as you were saying, um, Audric Estime, he had he did have a touchdown on the ground. He went for 17 carries, 87 yards. So not too bad of a day. Um, but all in all, you know, Clemson, they, it seemed like they were just playing really inspired football for, for whatever reason, at least in my opinion. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm really happy to see my preseason ACC champion pick, um, get a, get a big win like this at home. So, um, yeah, great win for the Tigers and it'll be very fun to see how they close out their season. Let's go to the game. I was at Texas defeats Kansas State 33-30 in overtime. This game was pretty nuts. I don't even really know where to start, so I think I'll just try and run through it as quickly as possible. Texas jumped out to a 17-0 lead early due to a really good game plan by Steve Sarkeesian and great execution on that opening script by Malik Murphy, who was able to find A.D. Mitchell a couple times deep down the field and then after a long touchdown by C.J. Baxter and some smothering defense, Texas was looking like they were probably going to cruise. Then the offense really started to sputter. Malik Murphy threw a terrible interception, and the Longhorns had a punt block, which made it 17-7 to going into halftime. And Longhorns were able to eventually get up 27-14 to going into the fourth quarter, and that's when disaster really hit. Malik Murphy threw one of the worst picks I've ever seen in my entire life. Kansas State scores. Jonathan Brooks fumbles the ensuing possession. K-State scores again. And on the ensuing extra point, their holder actually has some trouble with the snap, which led the game to be level at 27. Texas went down the field, got a field goal. K-State goes on the field, gets inside the Texas five-yard line, shanks a 27-yard field goal, gets the ball back, makes a field goal to go into overtime. Longhorns get a field goal with the first possession, and then 
K-State elects to try and go for the win inside the Longhorns' five-yard line on a fourth down, and Longhorns pretty much had the play sniffed out, and their D-line blew it up. The Longhorns survived, but this game was crazy. I mean, the offense was really struggling for pretty much the entire second half, and wasn't pretty, but Longhorns pretty banged up, and obviously without Quinn Ewers, they find a way to win. So that's I could go on for hours about it, but that was uh, it was a pretty tiring game to watch. I can only imagine just the type of emotions you're going through in the stands at DKR this past Saturday. Um, okay, so Colton, if you don't mind, I have a quick question for you. Um, as you mentioned, going down the stretch of the game within like the final five minutes, Kansas State. Uh, you know, they got within like the Texas five-yard line and they uh, they shanked that 27-yard um, game-tying field goal. And, of course, they missed that, but they get the ball back with like a minute 40 left. They drive down the field. They kick like a 40-something-yard field goal to tie it. They send the game to overtime. So, basically, what my question is, after having a shank like that, but you also – your kicker drained a 40-yard field goal or whatever it was to send your team to overtime um, – what is your true reaction to Kansas State electing to go for it and going for the win uh, on fourth down and overtime? Do you think that was the right call? Do you think that was, um, you know, maybe they were trying to get over aggressive? Do you think they should have kicked the field goal and gone to double overtime? Uh, pretty much just like, what What are your thoughts on that? Like, what's your opinion on that? I was shocked in the moment and after the game, I 100% would have kicked it. Typically, under, I think under normal circumstances, I mean, if this was a normal game and Texas had Quinn Ewers playing and, you know, it was just a, just a really good back and forth game, I'm normally always in favor of a road underdog, either going for two or, I mean, look, you know, I mean, if it's four yards, may as well go for the win. But I think you got to look at game flow and really, like, the one weakness for Texas offenses here has been the red zone. And if you're in overtime, it's basically a red zone shoot off. And, K State is one of the best red zone offenses in the country. So, and in addition to, I mean, Blake Murphy in this offense was not doing anything. So, I think Kansas State would have definitely won if they go to double overtime. So, I get under normal circumstances why they would do it. And I guess it's still, what, four yards instead of two and a half or three. But I definitely would have, if I was K State, I would have gone for two, or sorry, I would have kicked the field goal and then taking it to double overtime because I think that being an overtime period definitely would have favored the Wildcats. But Longhorn's D-line completely blew it up. I mean, Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy have been two of the better interior linemen in the country this year. There was a real problem, though, with the Longhorn's secondary. I think if there's two things that will get the Longhorn's beat, it's their quarterback play and their secondary play, particularly in zone coverage. But, I mean, Longhorn's has some real skill, uh, some real studs at the skill positions especially having A.D. Mitchell now because, I mean, both K-State and Malik Murphy did a great job of taking Xavier Worthy out of the game. I mean, K-State would either bracket him or interfere with him, and Malik Murphy took him out of the game by not being able to hit the broadside of a barn anytime he tried to throw the balls away. So, yeah, big time having a lot of other skill guys to pick up slack. But, yeah, to answer your question, I would have I would have kicked the field goal there. So then kind of piggybacking off that just real quick, because uh, I know we still have a lot of other games to cover, but I'm just curious as your thoughts. Um, do you th- What do you think was like the main contributing factor for Kansas State op- uh, electing to go for it there? Do you think it was because the kicker shanked that short yardage field goal like 10 minutes ago, or do you think the coach just straight up just wanted to go for the win outright right then and there? I think he wanted to just go for the win. I mean, maybe one thing could be, yeah, the shank, and then they also had the – had the trouble with the snap on the hold on the extra point, but shameless plug, <laughs> right? But I think he just probably wanted to go for two, or sorry, just go for it on fourth down and end the game. Which, like I said, normally I understand, but I think you really have to just look at game flow. And yeah. the Longhorns' offense was not moving the ball, especially in that overtime possession. I think they got one yard. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, that that call, I I, I totally. I, I like the I'm a fan of aggressive play styles like that. So I, I totally see I can see both sides of this argument. Um, but as you were saying, um, the Achilles heel at the Longhorns up to this point has been their red zone offense. And it, you just pointed out a moment ago, overtime is entirely a red zone shootout. Um, there's no other way around it unless, you know, you take like a, a 15 yard sack, whatnot, and then you gotta air it out like pretty far. Um, but other than that, no, I mean 
and what you're saying about the game flow, I also agree with. I mean, it, it seemed at that point with Kansas State kind of able to claw themselves back from the dead throughout the game to eventually get it to an overtime. Um, just for it to end like that is a really questionable decision. No, no, no doubt about it. Um, but just logistics wise, you you gotta re- you gotta take that field goal. You gotta take those three points, get to double overtime. You also gotta realize. As one, you as I just said, uh, Texas struggles in the red zone, and two, they are without their starting quarterback, so they were still with Malik Murphy um, in that game, regardless. And so, personally, if I'm Kansas State, I kick that field goal and just take my chances because, as we all know, college football overtimes anything is possible. And I mean, absolutely anything is possible. Um, so, personally, I would have taken my chance uh, chances and gone to a double overtime, but obviously that wasn't the case. All right, let's uh, move on from this and talk about the game that I most paid, mostly paid attention to this weekend. That would be AM going to the Grove, taking on Ole Miss. Ole Miss, as I predicted, of course, uh, ended up winning 38-35 in a close game, which I also said was going to happen. But um, anyways, I'll start with the Aggie perspective always first. Um, pretty gut-wrenching loss, feels like. you know. I mean, up to this point in the season – it's it's just been crushing. I feel like we're the new Nebraska because uh, between the AM Alabama game, the AM Tennessee game, and the AM Ole Miss game, the Aggies have lost all three of those games by one score or less. And it's I feel like we're the new Nebraska, as I just said. It's absolutely brutal. It's painful to watch. It absolutely sucks. We've reached the point where on Texags we're already we're already talking about potential uh, replacements for Jimbo. Like we don't even care about buyouts anymore. We're already looking at uh, we're already looking at replacement coaches. So that, that's what's going on around the state of the AM football program. But as for the game itself, um, you know, it, it was uh, it was announced right at kickoff that AM star wide receiver Evan Stewart would miss the game due to, I believe, a thigh injury is what it was that he sustained in practice. Um, and also AM secondary would be down two starters um, due to injury as well. So right off the bat, AM was certainly playing short staffed and it was not seeming promising at all. Um you know, Ole Miss at one point jumped out to a, it, it seemed like they had all of the momentum. I, I will say like all of the momentum um, early in the game. Um, they were driving down the field and make it, I believe they were looking to make it to 17, nothing game. Uh, they were up 14, nothing. And they went to uh, kick that field goal to get them to 17. And fortunately enough for AM, uh, caught a huge special teams break. The kick was blocked by Shamar Turner and ultimately returned for a touchdown. So that got that catapult to the Aggies right back in the game at 14-7. Um, and then you go to halftime, and AM's A&M's down. I'm not entirely sure what the score was, but either way, it was certainly well within striking distance for the Aggies. Um, however, you and I touched on this last episode. Um, you know, as you said, Texas struggles in the red zone. AM's biggest struggle this year has been second half touchdowns. Um, however, that certainly was uh, was not the case. Against Ole Miss, AM was able to put up three second half touchdowns. Um, truly by the grace of God, I have no idea how that happened, but it did. Um, I, w- I will give credit to Max Johnson. He had um, a very, very good second half to keep AM in this game all the way down to the wire. However, um, on the opening drive of the third quarter, he made arguably the biggest mistake he has made all season by throwing a a very costly interception on about the Ole Miss two yard line, I believe. Um, so that really sucked because if Aiden would have punched it in there, um, I believe they would have actually taken the lead or if not, at least leveled the game. However, that wasn't the case as I just mentioned. So all in all for AM, um, you know, you were, you were so close, but yet so far, I forgot to mention, excuse me. I apologize. Um, this game ended on, I believe, a tipped field goal. Um, AM had a chance late in the game. Great last, last, uh, like two minute drill kind of style kind of drive like that. Uh, Max Johnson was able to lead the offense down the field and put them in position to at least tie the game with, I believe, like a 46 yard field goal, something around that. And unfortunately, the kick was tipped at the line and came up just short. So ultimately, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, ultimately, Ole Miss was able to come away with a 38-35 win. Um, all in all, it, it's, it sucks, as I was just saying, because a was so close, but yet just so far. Um, I, I really don't have much else to say, aside from, you know, you have a pretty favorable matchup against, uh, against Mississippi State. 
uh, this upcoming weekend. So hopefully that can get you back on some track. But all in all right now, the Aggies are currently 5-4. and four. Um, They're not even bull eligible yet up to this point in the season. I hope hopefully that will change. Um, hopefully that will change this up after their, their showdown against Mississippi State this weekend. But ultimately, this program is just I, – I don't even really have the words to describe it. It just feels like a mess right now. Um, and it really sucks, but it is what it is. Um, as for Ole Miss in this game, you know, as, as much as it pains me to say, Jackson Dart had a hell of a game. He really did. He completed 24 passes on 33 attempts. He threw for 387 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, and had a QBR of 95.9, which is really impressive. Um, but of course his number one target that I absolutely have to give, uh, give flowers to, uh, is Trey Harris. Trey Harris popped off for 11 receptions, 213 yards and a touchdown. Um, the thing with Trey Harris too, it felt like, I don't know, Colton, if you're able to watch much of this game, but, um, every single time Jackson Dart threw the ball and just like the general vicinity, uh, of Trey Harris, it always seemed like he came down with it, whether he was inbounds, out of bounds, one hand, two hands, you name it. He was always coming down with that football. Um, so that was that one handed catch on the sideline was crazy. Yeah, he was absolutely, which is an absolute nightmare of a matchup. Um, this past Saturday, but all in all for Ole Miss, they, um, you know, they look good. They continue to roll. They're eight and one. Um, they're currently now number nine in the country as of this recording in the CFP rankings for a reason. And, you know, they're looking really good. There's still, um, a bit of an outside chance for them to, uh, potentially win the West. I, I know that they got to have some, um, favors happen. Uh, they got to have some good fortune like that. Um, and some some voodoo magic whatnot has to be worked against Alabama and have them take a few losses. I, that's not going to happen. But, hey, you never know. College football is college football. But ultimately, uh, good game for Ole Miss. Uh, excuse me, great game for Ole Miss. And for AM, and uh, great effort. But I, 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 I just don't even really have any more words anymore about this program. Best one from that game was undoubtedly Shamar Turner punching that Ole Miss student in the balls for no apparent reason, but pretty funny, yeah. pretty funny yeah. play. Well, it's funny because I was at the Texas game and Will texted me that and I was like, what? Okay. This is something I'm going to need to see later. And I saw it and that was, that was pretty intentional, but pretty funny moment there. Yeah, there's no defending that. I mean, you can you can easily make the argument that the uh, the old lineman was certainly hanging, quote unquote, hanging his uh, his family jewels over Shamar Turner's forehead for quite some time while he was trying to get up. And clearly, Shamar Turner decided it was best to, uh, you know, throw throw a Cup punch check. down, throw a punch down under. And um, it's always the second yeah. guy that gets it's always the second guy that gets caught. But especially when you're trying to take an uppercut like that. You're going to get caught regardless. That was just an absolute boneheaded move. I mean, it makes for some pretty good memes and jokes on the internet, but during the heat of the moment when you're the best player on defense, you can't be doing stuff like that. Yeah, that was that was a pretty wild moment from a pretty wild game, actually. But let's jump into some ACC play. Virginia Tech and Louisville faced off for pretty much to see who's going to play Florida State in the ACC championship game, and Louisville completely dominated. They shut down Virginia Tech's offense. Completely, and they ran Gerard Jordan for uh, I think he had 13 yards of carry in this game, so that is that's not really normal, but yeah, Louisville and Jeff Brom are eight and one and almost pretty much locked into the conference championship game. So great work there by the Cardinals. And uh, let's look at an SEC matchup here. Mizzou goes to between the hedges in Athens, and they actually keep it pretty close. Georgia takes it 30-21. to 21. Mizzou actually moved the ball a lot better than I expected to, and I thought that they'd be able to do so a bit in the air, which they were, but Cody Schrader was able to go over 100 yards on 5.1 yards per carry, and this game was tight for a while. Mizzou had it at 27-21, to 21, fairly late in the fourth quarter, and then unfortunately Brady Cook threw a pick to one of the defensive linemen on a screen of sorts, and he rumbled for like 30 or 40 yards. Got called back, but then Georgia was able to drive down, kick a field goal. And this game was pretty much over, but yeah, this game was closer uh, than I thought. And credit to Eli Drinkwitz. He was on the hot seat coming into this year, and he has a really good ball club up there in Columbia. No, for sure. Um, 
Man, what a game. You know, this this ultimately is, as you and I said, going into this, we'll most certainly decide who will win the East, most likely. Um, and clearly, Georgia still is the top dog, no pun intended. Um, however, you know, Missouri certainly did. They certainly went down swinging, no questions asked. It's not like they just forgot how to football, like how some teams do in big games like this. Um, you know, Missouri certainly, they, they looked good. And they were, as you were saying, they were hanging in there for the majority of the game. Um, you know, Brady Cook, he didn't have anything too too exciting, of course. I mean, he just had a pretty average stat line, um, aside, of course, but the most glaring part of that is those two picks that he threw in the game. Um, as for the Missouri, Missouri receiving or receiving leaders in this game, you know, Theo Weiss had five receptions for 90 yards, um, and Luther Burden, he, he kind of had a bit of a quiet day. I mean, he did have a touchdown, but he only had three receptions for 53 yards. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like, um, his kind of, I, I don't want to call it an absence, but his kind of, uh, lesser play in this game could have certainly, uh, played a huge factor into this either, um, either, it, it, uh, I'm sorry, my brain just went out the window. Um, Luther Burden's, um, kind of lesser of a game, um, really impacted this football game because I feel like if he would have popped off just a little bit more, Missouri certainly could have, um, you know, won this game, uh, won this game late, but clearly, um, Georgia's defense, as we all know, which is one of the best in the country, clearly had other plans for that. Um, but all in all, you know, big win for Georgia. Um, as for Missouri, still, still nothing to hang your head over at all. They just got to keep that chin up. You know, you're still seven and two. Um, Great season, as Colton was just saying. Eli Drinkowitz coming into this season was on the hot seat, and that's certainly um, he's certainly responded uh, incredibly well this season um, to those allegations. So, all in all, good win for Georgia and Missouri. You know, you gotta you know you gotta close out the season strong, and we'll just see what happens. Let's look at. The final Bedlam game for quite a while. Oklahoma State takes down the Sooners 27-24 to 24 here. This was a little bit lower scoring than most Bedlam games, but still had a similar feel where kind of back and forth, but anytime it felt like Oklahoma State was going to win it, it seemed like they'd make a crucial mistake or OU would kind of find a way to get back on top. But between a strong game from Alan Bowman, who was able to be kind of a steady leader back there, and Ollie Gordon, while wasn't his best game average-wise, was still able to pound the rock pretty hard. And one of his uh, pretty pretty funny play that Ollie Gordon had there, which when I was watching the game, I thought, man, Oklahoma State is just not going to be able to get this one done, was they ran this halfback pass, and his initial read was taken. So he just decided to launch it down the field into like triple coverage and ended up getting picked off. But, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State was able to take the lead there. You got to talk about OU uh, getting kind of robbed out of a pretty bad miss pass interference call, but they still had a chance at the end to go down and either tie or take the lead. And I kind of thought this game, the end of this game, was a little bit poorly managed by Brett Venables, particularly him calling a timeout on a fourth down and then ending up just kicking a field goal instead of going for it on their second to last possession. But I mean, ultimately, we've kind of just seen OU really after the Red River game. Just kind of stumble a little bit, and I know they're not happy with Jeff Lebby. Yeah, credit to Mike Gundy and the Pokes. They have not won Bedlam very often, but they get it done here, and they have a eternal scoreboard at least for quite a while. Another Big 12 matchup, Kansas goes to Ames and wins 28-21. Never really fun to play there, especially late in the year, and this game had some big-time conference implications. That being said, even with the Kansas running game, not really – Working, Jason Bean was able to have a pretty solid game, take care of the ball, and the Jayhawks had a pretty cool little pop pass play, little play-action pop pass to kind of put the game on ice there on a third down late in the game. Yeah, the Jayhawks win it and stay in Big 12 title contention. Now let's go to one of Will's locks of the week. Washington beats USC 52-42. to this game was awesome. I had this on the multi-view, actually. I had Washington, USC, and LSU, Alabama, which we'll get to. And this game completely delivered. If there's any question, Caleb Williams is still an absolute stud, as is Michael Penix, who had a good game. But Dylan Johnson 
256 yards on almost 10 yards of carry and four touchdowns. And I think this game kind of came down to who was going to make the stop. And surprise, surprise, USC's defense could not make a stop. Washington made a couple plays, and they walked out of the Coliseum with an undefeated record and a 10-point victory. Will, what did you have from this game? You know, this is the exact kind of showing I've been wanting to see from Washington um, over the past few weeks because, as we know, uh, the past two to three games that the Huskies have played in have not been the most pretty thing uh, we've ever seen. Um, and, you know, I, of course, this game was certainly – uh, closer uh, with it being a 10 point margin. But at the end of the day, you know, this seemed exactly like the type of win that we've kind of come to expect from the Washington Huskies, you know, high points, um, high scoring, a ton of offense um, with a little defense sprinkled in there, but um, mainly just offensive dominated. And clearly they were the better team on Saturday. Um, you know, Michael Penix, as you were saying, he looked great, but I absolutely Dylan Johnson, the dude just, was an absolute animal on Saturdays. He said going for 256 yards and four touchdowns by himself. Um, that is a ridiculous stat line. Um, all in all, this this felt like a I, – I, I don't want to necessarily call this a, a total complete win for Washington because they still give, still give it 42 points on defense. However, though, um, you know, the Huskies look great. And as for USC, with you, uh, you now falling a 7-3 and three, – uh, it's just a shame. I kind of look at this team this year and just kind of, just kind of think like what could have been, you know, uh, I feel like I've done that a lot in the past with, uh, Lincoln Riley teams when he's had, it feels like generational quarterbacks running the show. Um, but you know, if USC would have just, you know, maybe fired Alex Grinch earlier in the season or just, you know, maybe brought someone on, bef- uh, brought on a new defensive coordinator before the start of the season, USC could be uh, they could they could easily be undefeated up to this point if they just had an average defense and clearly they don't even have that. Um, so as I was saying, I'm just I'm just kind of just shaking my head thinking what could have been. Uh, but all in all, great win for Washington. They looked really good, especially on offense. Um, and as for USC, as I mentioned, seven and three, kind of back to the drawing board. Um, yeah, it's it's a shame to see um, a Heisman a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Um, kind of just have his team kind of go by the wayside a little bit this year, unfortunately. Yeah, that game was awesome. And that that wild flea flicker that USC ran was pretty insane. I can't believe they even that tried was, that, but it worked. That was perfection. incredible. Yeah, no, that, that flea flicker, that was certainly one of the most unique plays I've probably ever seen on a football field. Yeah, that was an incredible play in, you know, in a game full of incredible plays. Uh, let's look at... Pac-12 matchup here, UCLA goes to Tucson and falls to the Wildcats 27-10. They are now bowl eligible 6-3. And, and, yeah, I mean, Jed Fish has done a great job. He has them playing some really good football right now. And no Fafita ever since stepping in for Jane Delora has done a really good job. And UCLA, while having a pretty good defense, their quarterback room is still a complete mess, and they can't score, which is odd to say, speaking about a Chip Kelly coach football team. Hey everybody, it's Will here. Um, I am currently editing the latest episode of Trouble with the Snap that you are listening to. Um, however, I want to give a brief disclaimer. Last night during this section of the show when Colton and I were recording, my computer completely froze up on me and pretty much locked me out of the software that we use to record our shows. And so that is why it might seem a little bit choppy here, a little bit rough around the edges. Um, I just want to take this Uh, take a quick second to apologize for this. I'm not too entirely sure what led to this issue, but I'm looking into uh, how to fix this problem going forward in the future. But I just wanted to give a brief disclaimer, um, a brief apology, and I wanted to thank you for your patience. Now back to the show. Colton, we're back, man. Do you want to pick up where you left off? I apologize. No, you're all good. It happens. So LSU goes to Tuscaloosa for a game with some pretty high SEC West stakes there. Bama walks out of Tuscaloosa with a 42-28 to victory there. I mean, this was kind of a duel of Jalen Milrow and Jaden Daniels. And, man, Daniels is an absolute stud. And every time I watch him, he seems to play better than I remember him actually being. He was able to get it done through the air and on the ground. Unfortunately, he did throw a pick and – 
got dinged up towards the end of that game when it felt like things were already starting to unravel a bit, but maybe it would have been a little bit different hadn't he been able to stay healthy. But credit to Jalen Milrow. I know that you like him a lot, Will, and I mean, I love Milrow too. He was able to really get it done on the ground, particularly running for four touchdowns. And through the air, he was not able to really find a lot of those deep shots that this Bama offense has kind of been built on since week three or so. But he was very good at the short to intermediate passing game. And so put LSU's defense is not very good. Bama's defense is really good. So, yeah, Alabama walks out of there with a victory, and they are in prime position to play Georgia in Atlanta. Wow, what a rematch once again. Uh Um. Anyways, as for this game, though, um, I'm most impressed, and my main takeaway from this, from watching this game, is just the true growth and development that we have seen um, Jalen Monroe have this season. Um, I remember, as we all do, you know, week two or week three, whatever it was, after the South Florida game, where Bama was juggling what seemed to be their two to three quarterbacks on the roster to see who can give them the best chance to win. Um, Clearly, Jalen Milrow was the right choice at the beginning of the season, and he certainly still is up to this point. No questions asked. The kid every single week has just gotten better. He's gotten, <clears throat> excuse me, he's gotten stronger. He's he's making better reads. He's connecting on, as Colton was just saying a moment ago, the short to intermediate passes he tend to maybe struggle with earlier on in the year. Um, all in all, I am very impressed with um, just the type of development that he has had so far in this season as Colton did also mention he did run for four touchdowns on the ground so um, no big shocker there we've all known that he is one of the better runners on the entire Alabama team and so that clearly was on display this past Saturday um, all in all as I, 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 I uh, hate to keep harping on it uh, Jalen Moreau has looked great um, these past few games and each and every week he just continues to get better and better um, as for LSU you know the, we got it you got to talk certainly about uh, Jaden Daniels as well. Um, the dude played absolutely lights out until he unfortunately got banged up uh, towards the end of that game. Um, you know, Jaden Daniels, he has had a hell of a season up to this point. I'm not going to lie to you. I know LSU is six and three, but it's not because of pretty much anything that he's done for the most part. He has played absolutely lights out for what feels like the majority of the season. Um, however, the thing I will say with Jaden Daniels, in my opinion, the biggest knock on him, as we have seen time and time again throughout this season, is he is very prone to taking very big hits. And unfortunately, um, that uh, one of those big hits was um, able to keep him out of the game uh, for the rest of it this past Saturday against Bama. Uh, Colton, I don't know, maybe I don't know if it's just me. But I'm, I'm convinced after all these big hits, someone like Jaden Daniels, he's going to have like crazy-ass arthritis by the time he's like 60. Um, no, it's funny because I was trying to ask you about this before we had some of our technical difficulties, but I feel like every time I watch Jaden Daniels, there's at least one or two hits a game where it feels like he gets hit like a, a meteorite and he gets thrown around like a rag doll at least once or twice a game with just massive, massive hits. And the one that he got hurt on isn't even the one that I was talking about. He had one where he ran like, 30 yards on the field and just got like thrown. It was so funny. Oh yeah. 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 I, he, yeah, like, took out that, yeah he like took out that dude behind him with his leg or something. Yeah. It was so yeah. funny. Yeah. He just gets tossed around. Yeah. So the thing with Jaden Daniels, I mean, the dudes, as I was just saying, he's absolutely balling out weekend and week out. The dude is having a great season. Um, LSU's defense, not having a great season as that was clearly, um, on display against Bama, but not just against Bama, pretty much against a lot of teams this this season. I mean, if you remember earlier earlier in the year, they um, LSU's defense was the main reason why um, you know Arkansas back uh, I believe it was like week three or week four or something like that. Um, LSU's defense was the main reason why Arkansas was able to take them down to the wire in Death Valley and things like that. And as we all know, Arkansas is certainly one of the one of the lower tier SEC teams this year. So that, um, <clears throat> I, I guess just things like that truly speaks volumes to just how, um, just how off that LSU defense is, especially it's kind of odd when, when you're uh, the captain of that defense has been Harold Perkins um, in his second season, you know, you're expecting him to take a big step forward and to his credit, he, he has, but at the same time, he's still kind of playing that intermediate role that kind of, 
odd thing. Um, just kind of, I, I don't want to say out of position, but he, he's um, he's only he's one man, and you know there are eleven guys on defense, and he can only do so much. And um, no matter how well he plays, um, the flaws in LSU's defense are just that glaring at times, and so. Uh, ultimately, that is what's going to hold this team back from their true expect, uh, their true potential. But all in all, you know LSU, Alabama. Anytime these two teams meet, they never disappoint. Um, great game, really entertaining game. Um, and up to this point in the season, you know Bama's eight and one, and they are no pun intended. But the tide is rolling right now, um, and they are looking great, 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 great going into the final few games of the season. Yeah, I think that'll be just about wrap up. Really awesome week 10. Let's jump into our locks of the week, which were a bit more accurate this week. For me, I was loving Texas Tech minus two and a half at home against TCU, especially with the Red Raiders getting Baron Morton back. And this game was a bit too close for comfort, but never a doubt the Red Raiders get it done. The rally possum struck. Yeah, that was that was really funny with that possum running around the field and then with the Get him off the field. He did not look happy about that one, but you got to expect those things to be running around there in West Texas. My lock that actually missed was Oregon State minus 13 and a half at Boulder, which kind of frustrating. Two weeks in a row, I've picked against Boulder, and it kind of feels like they're having a little bit of these backdoor covers because Oregon State was destroying them, and then it got a little tight at the end. One thing to mention, because I think Dion has done a good job, but he did demote Sean Lewis, offensive coordinator, which I thought was kind of a questionable move because I think Sean Lewis is a very highly regarded offensive coordinator. So interesting to see how that one plays out. But Boulder, once again, backdoor covers and my lock of the week misses. So I absolutely got back on track this past week. Both my locks of the week hit. Um, you know, I, I was feeling good about them. And obviously that was for good reason. You know, I, I had a, I feel like I was feeding families this week with my with my locks of the week. Um, anyways, for what those two are, my first one was the Iowa at Northwestern. Um, the game was at Wrigley, and I took the under. And as we know, that that certainly cashed. Anytime you have two just perennial Big Ten powerhouses such as Iowa and Northwestern uh, squaring off like this, the under is almost always the play. And that was, you know, certainly the play this past Saturday. The under the over under was set at thirty and a half. I believe that's the odds that I got from the ESPN app, and that cashed, no question. Um, the next one that I took was Washington minus three on the road at USC. As we know, Washington was able. <coughs> excuse me, apologies. Um, Washington was able to walk into the Coliseum, and um, get out there, get out with a ten point win over Caleb Williams and his USC Trojans. Um, thanks, large in part. To the run game of Washington, um, most notably, I already forgot his name. Excuse me, Dylan uh, Johnson. Yes, thank you, thank you for the assist, um, Dylan Johnson. The dude played absolutely incredible, as we all know. And um, you know, I can just absolutely just I can, I should just thank him um, for single handedly uh, uh, making my lock of the week hit. Um, the dude was absolutely incredible, and without him, that lock certainly would have missed. So, thank you, Dylan Johnson. Real quick note about that Iowa game. That was the fourth highest scoring game at Wrigley Field this year, so that'll show you what kind of offensive fireworks were really going on there. Yeah, that, in that, Wrigley Field. they absolutely popped off. But yeah, those are our locks of the week. I think we're getting a little bit more on track, at least I am. I mean, Will's been on a hot streak of late, so... I think this is the week where I finally go two for two again. Let's hop into some discussion points real quick. Let's start with James Madison's bowl dilemma. People who don't know, James Madison is having another really good season. This time they are 9-0, and but they are not eligible for a bowl game because some really dumb NCAA policies about if you jump up from the FCS to the FBS, you have to sit out of a bowl for a few years. So... They sent a letter to the NCAA trying to appeal this decision because now with um, Air Force getting blown out by Army, James Madison would be right there for the group of five New Year's six spots. So I really hope that James Madison finds a way because it's pretty awesome to see them be a really good shout-out to PFT comments or a part of my take. <laughs> um, so this James Madison story, it's certainly certainly interesting. Um, 
you know, I, I'm really pulling for them. I really uh, am hoping that the NCAA will be able to change their mind and allow them to go bowling. As Colton just said, they are 9-0. Um, up to this point in the season, they have proved that they are more than worthy of going bowling. Um, I saw earlier this evening, or I read, um, that they uh, they already filed an appeal to the NCAA once that was already rejected uh, earlier in the year about this same matter. But I um, I saw that they are trying once more. Um, I, I'm not sure when exactly they filed it. I believe it was either today or yesterday. Um and they are trying to get it appealed once again. And um, hopefully the NCAA will actually, you know, do something fun for once in regards to this. Um, do the right thing. Yeah, exactly. Do the right thing and allow James Madison to go to a bowl game that they certainly deserve to be in. Yeah, I think I'll ruin for the Dukes there. I mean, it, it sucks if you're having such a good year and you can't even play in a bowl game or something that's totally out of your control. And it's not like they're having like you know like program issues where like they were like they've like been suspended or like on probation to miss bowl games. Like it was just yeah, they made the jump from FCS to FBS, you know. Yeah, it's just a stupid rule for this in place for really no reason. But that's that's kind of par for the course for the NCAA. Also, big news and probably should happen a while ago, but USC fires defense coordinator Alex Grinch, who had been with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, fall into USC, and I mean. They can't stop anything. So interesting to see what kind of candidates they're able to look at. I think Jim Leonard should be a guy that they can definitely look at. The former Wisconsin DC and interim coach who's now at Illinois. Um, and who and who knows? Maybe they can play some better defense the rest of the year. The rest of the year, they actually still are somehow in the Pac-12 title race, which we'll get to. But I don't know. One of my thoughts on this is, I think that. Bad defense isn't the only problem. I think Lincoln Riley runs a soft program, and I think the bad defense is kind of a feature of his program, but not really just one bug that Alex Grinch being fired can fix. So my thoughts on this is it's a long time coming. Um, You know, Alex Grinch has been with Lincoln Riley for several seasons now, several years, and – you know, it's it's finally time that he made the change. And I'm, you know, as for USC, I'm really glad that Lincoln Riley finally, you know, had had the set of stones to make this change. And <clears throat> excuse me. Um, ultimately, I I do think that this move will benefit USC and their defense in every way, shape, or form going forward. Um, you know, as Colton was saying, they could not stop absolutely anything at all this uh, this season, and so. You know, hopefully with this firing of Alex Grinch, um, hopefully they can get this defense on track. Maybe not. It's probably too late into this season, but, you know, looking forward to next season, um, you know, you bring in some, you bring in a fresh uh, defensive coordinator. Maybe that inspires your team and maybe they'll actually start to play defense again. Um, Hopefully that's the case because as I was saying in the game recap earlier with USC now at seven and three, I, I was kind of sitting there shaking my head, like what could have been. So, you know, uh, obviously you can't live in the past in college football, but um, certainly a more promising move that USC has had in, a, in quite a while, to be honest. Um, all right. So yeah, it'll be, it was going to see if there's a better defense on the stretch because Lord knows that they need it and Caleb Williams needs it. Absolutely. So as of the recording of this episode, it is currently Tuesday. And um, with us being down to the final few weeks of the season already, which is absolutely crazy to even think about, um, the latest CFP poll was released tonight. Um, the top, top six, I believe, remain unchanged. Um, however, we did have um, – the number nine and number 10 spot uh, at the bottom shake up a little bit. Uh, Colton, after watching CFB this past weekend, um, how do you feel about the new poll? Do you think Ohio State should still be number one, or do you think Georgia should jump them, or uh, just anything like that? Is there anything that stands out to you from uh, tonight's top 10? I mean, I think Georgia has looked better than Ohio State, but I think Ohio State still has the best resume, and I think – it's all going to kind of work itself out there with Ohio State, Georgia, and Michigan. I think these rankings are pretty fair. Obviously, you see Oklahoma fall out after the loss to Oklahoma State. Penn State hops in there, almost moves um, a spot up. But again, I think that all these will kind of work out. I do think that 
Texas should be ranked ahead of Oregon simply based off resume. And I think, I think that's fairly clear, honestly, but I still ultimately think that if Texas wins out, they probably have the best resume as a one loss team. Like I said, I mean, these things, I mean, this year feels a little bit different where there's a lot of undefeated teams and whatnot, but it's, I think it always kind of works out, so we'll see. But I think it's all pretty fair. All right. Um, you know, I, I think the only thing that I would nitpick, I mean, it, it truly is nitpicking um, with this top 10, is I probably would flip Georgia with Ohio State um, for that one and two spot just because, um, you know, just straight up the past few weeks, I feel like Georgia's been playing much better a much better brand of ball than Ohio State has. I know that they're still both undefeated. Um, but I just feel like Georgia has just been winning those games in a bit more of a dominating fashion or just, well, not necessarily dominating, but they just, um, I, I hate to even use this word eye test because it makes me want to throw up and it makes me think about the 2020 poll where the eye test was everything according to, according to experts. But anyways, um, at least for my eye test, I think Georgia, um, certainly looks like the uh, number one team over Ohio State. Maybe not by much, but I still think that they have done just enough to deserve that number one spot. But other than that, um, you know, Michigan three, Florida State four, Washington five, so on and so forth. I'm uh, I'm pretty much happy with this top ten, and it'll be uh, certainly interesting to see if we have any more shakeups uh, next Tuesday. Yeah, nothing super egregious at college football. I'm sure there'll be. I mean, Georgia and Ole Miss are going to play, and I'm sure there is going to be some more shakeup there, like always. Uh, real quick, I want to um, run down some of the uh, conference races because we talked about it on, the, on the last episode and how last week was a pretty big week for a lot of conference championship races. As far as the ACC goes, Florida State is actually already locked in, and we mentioned Louisville pretty much clinched their spot with a win over Virginia Tech, so I think you can expect to see the Cardinals and the, and the Knolls duke it out. In Charlotte, as far as the Big Ten East, nothing has really changed. We know it's probably going to come down to, well, Michigan plays Penn State this weekend, which could be a big game. Then you have, obviously, Ohio State Michigan will probably be the deciding factor there. In the West, pretty much every team that was tied for first besides Iowa lost. So Iowa, even only scoring like what, 10 points a game, is still in sole possession of the West with three games to go. So I think we're all rooting for the Hawkeyes to – find a way to make it to Indy and get destroyed like probably 19 to one by Michigan or something. But so there's still a chance that Iowa has all those trick plays in the bag that we, that we don't know about. You know, that's true. Yeah. They'll, they'll pull out the Lincoln Riley flea flicker for Deacon Hill and whichever one of their receivers, I don't know the name of, but as far as the big 12 goes, you had Oklahoma state and Texas win, which kind of puts both of them, in almost on somewhat of a expected collision course to face in Arlington. Oklahoma State has a really easy remainder of the schedule. I think they're pretty much locked in. They play UCF, Houston, and BYU. Texas has a bit of a tougher path, and I think with Quinn Ewers out, there's still a path for them to lose a game, having TCU and Iowa State on the road, Texas Tech at home, but still manageable. You'd expect the Longhorns to win out. The only really hope here for – because there is a – four or five-way tie for second in the Big 12, which is so crazy. Like I said, Oklahoma State is probably locked in. If Texas loses a game, Oklahoma or Kansas could find themselves kind of back in that race, even maybe Kansas State. So we'll see how that one shakes out. SEC, Georgia is pretty much locked in there. Out of the East, Alabama is pretty much locked in in the West. And the Pac-12, I think we're all looking at Washington being there. And like I mentioned, USC is still in the race here. They play Oregon this weekend so the winner there probably has the right to face washington again i think that either one of those winners would be a lot of fun to watch in a rematch yeah you know i um i don't really have much to say about this i feel like you covered pretty much everything uh, every highlight of the conference standings um i you know i i'm pulling for the hawkeyes man i really am um you know as you said they're in sole possession of first place right now in the big 10 west um you know, it, it. I don't know. Just, just anytime you have Iowa and in, in the Big Ten in the Big Ten championship game, I, I, I've kind of been a fan of that, and I think it'll be really fun to see their absolute electric offense um, go go up against the likes of either Michigan, Ohio State, or Penn State. That would just be so much fun for me to watch. 
We should go to that game if Iowa makes it. <laughs> I mean, I would be down. I, I would definitely find a way to get to get to that game if you really wanted to go. Well, Iowa's got to make it first. But That's a good point. Yeah, we'll talk about it when we get there. But yeah, talking about the playoffs and conference standing shakeouts, I think that we are definitely in store for a pretty pretty wild last three weeks of the season leading up to conference championship games. But I think that's, I think that's about uh, all we got. I think we may, might have ran a little bit over and had some technical difficulties, but there was a lot to talk about this week, and we wanted to make sure that everyone is informed and everything's covered. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that will just about do it for us in this latest episode. Um, as I mentioned, I do sincerely apologize for the technical difficulties. They completely blindsided me. Um, pun intended, Colton, because I know that's your favorite movie. Um, I got completely blindsided by those. Uh, <laughs> by, by those Don't things. even. <laughs> How we're dare on, you? We're on the dang ball, Bert. Uh, but anyways, I, I do apologize for that. Before because that was not fun to deal with. And I certainly know it's not enjoyable to listen to. Um, so thank you for bearing with me. But anyways, that will just about close out the show for us on this episode. Um, if, of course, as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, etc., you know where to find us on socials. Um, Colton, do you have any last words officially before we sign off? That's about all I've got. All right. Well, thank you all very much for listening. Thank you for bearing with me through my technical difficulties. And we will talk to you in the next episode later this week. Thank you all.